Go ahead and take your chairs. Go ahead and take your chairs. Once again, thank you, worship team, and for the old school stuff. Amen. Hallelujah. Kind of old school right there. Um, Proverbs 27. Again, I'm excuse me, Proverbs 20, verse 27. Let me know when you have it. I'll take a drink as I'm waiting. Praise the Lord. And reads there, the lamp of the Lord searches the spirit of man. It searches out his innermost being. Lord, we, we come before you and we ask once again that you would continue to reveal yourself in, in the person of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would touch each life. And God, transform people, not an emotional transformation, God. We need one that is solid, that can endure the world, can endure uh, themselves, can push past all these obstacles and get to you. Because I know you're waiting for all of us invite you in not only in word but indeed in sincerity of heart so I pray you would move in signs and wonders in Jesus name amen well to this point we found that the Holy Spirit is the spirit above the waters who hovers over the darkness of our lives and without exception most people tend to come to God when darkness is hitting them. Amen? Something happens to, to get their attention. It doesn't have to be that way, but we're human. Nonetheless, the breath of life who determines our physical and spiritual well-being comes in and begins to correct things in our lives. We found that he'll come and he'll draw you and speak to you but those who reject or refuse his voice will eventually face God's judgment. And it's nothing that, you know, because people say, you know, if God's a God of love, you know, he'll, he won't send anybody to hell. And you're correct. God never sends anyone to hell. Hell is full of volunteers. It's God's desire that none would perish. No, not one. But when the Spirit of God moves in our lives, we recognize One's anointing, when one has said, I, I'm receiving it, it's, it's evident. You could begin to see because the language changes, the thought changes, the desires. When the one's had a, a desire to do this, it's, that's no longer the focal point. The desire now is, is Christ centered. The Bible, the, of, speaking of the anointing, calls it the oil. And oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, Jesus sent out his 12 and to minister his name. And before he sent them out, he said he anointed them. And the way he anointed them is he, he breathed on them. And he told them to receive the Holy Spirit. They go out 
And they come back rejoicing and they tell Jesus that they casted out demons. They were healing people uh, of diseases and they were all happy. And then Jesus quickly rebuked them and put them in their place. Don't rejoice that demons bow down to you. You need to rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And they, not understanding that because Jesus seen their pride rise up as they begin to move and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. He goes, that, that kind of pride, he goes, I've seen Satan fall from heaven. It's not like lightning. So he was warning them, be careful with your pride. Because the anointing will make you feel good. Better than James Brown. Make you feel good. Oh, I feel good, right? Right? Because when an anointing falls upon you, you say, what is that? You begin to like that. And if you're not careful, uh, you'll be seeking that feeling rather than God. The breath of the Almighty, we discussed the breath of Almighty. And in Job 33, 4, it reads, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. So the Holy Spirit, who is the third member of the Trinity, equal in position, power, and power to the Father and the Son, breathes life. He is the one that breathes life into you. We're drawn to him. When we hear the name Jesus, the Bible says, if you lift up Jesus, all men will be drawn unto him. But it's that attention grabber of Jesus. Then they work in tandem. The Holy Spirit begins to woo you and speak to you and pull you. Because he says no man comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws him. So the name grabs our attention, but it's the Holy Spirit's work that draws you. And then we talked about the double portion of that anointing. Imagine that. If not one portion wasn't enough, there's a double portion. And we, we, we talked about that in detail last week. And it was there in 2 Kings, rather in Kings chapter 2, verse 9. He, Elisha is asking his, his pastor, Elijah, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha recognized something in the man of God, and he wanted it. Elisha asked for a double portion of the spiritual power Elijah possessed. And, which is a good thing. I've asked that. I remember weeping there in Castro Valley asking God for everything. I told him, I, I, I was sitting there, I go, God, you know, when I was in the world, maybe you don't relate, but I do. When I was, I was an extremist. I, I didn't, I wasn't the kind of guy that just like touched the water. I was the guy, I was the guy that said, they go, the water's cold, or I, I never put my toe in the water. I was the kind of guy that said, yeah, I don't care what it is. Boom, I just jump in. Psh, I would jump in. I was, I, was, I was the kind of guy that didn't like, well, I didn't like a challenge. Why? Because I would do it. I, I, I was in the military, and they had this one challenge, and you climb these, these logs, and, and they, they, they outlawed it. They don't do it no more, from what I understand. I don't know, but unless you go like special forces, but they had these logs, and they were five feet apart, and they, it was a good 40 feet, probably a little bit lower than that top of that roof, right? And they said, um, okay, we want volunteers to climb that up, you know, and all the whole company was there. And I'm just, I'm looking at that thing, and in my mind I said, shoot, I ain't climbing that. That's crazy, that is, that's crazy. Whoever would climb that is a nut. Shoot. And so, so I'm just looking at it, and, and, and so nobody's walking up. But then there's one guy, always one guy. I'll never forget him. I used to call him New York. He was from New York. Irish dude, right? 
And he, he, he goes, boom, I'll do it. And I'm, I'm in the back, and I'm the kind of guy, no, I'd never take a challenge. I go, no, he didn't. No, he couldn't have done that. Why did he do that? Ah, I'll do it. I go, I ain't going to let that guy do it without me doing it. Oh, no. I, I, I was just like that, man. So he climbs up there. And he, he went first. And he went up, and he went like, like Batman, you know, da, 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 he comes over the top. And I said, oh, man, now I have to go because now everybody's looking at me. And I'm thinking, me and my pride. It was pride at the time, right? Like, oh, God. So I go, bah, bah, bah. Now, climbing up that high is easy. Coming down is a whole different cha-cha. Amen? I'll never forget. I go over the top of the log. And for like a split second, and the drill sergeant was smart. He knew. For a split second, I grab, and, I, and I looked down, and I Man, my, my fingernails went into that log. I go, I said, what am I? I was way up there. A lot higher. You know, it's higher looking down than it is looking up. Amen? And I was like, ah. And the drill sergeant, perfect timing. Like God. You know how God does it. He goes, don't stop. That's all I needed. He said, don't stop. And I just kept going. And I went down. I go, whoa. I go, man. Then I got off the thing. I go, yeah, dog from Dakota, man. I did that. I go, <laughs> Like, acting like I was bad, you know, I did it, right? Whoa, uh, challenge, right? Well, see, when you're, when you're there and you're looking and you want God, that's a great challenge, amen? See, Elisha wanted something more. He's an extremist, I could say. And I asked God, God, I want more. I was always like that. And I remember sitting at the altar, and I said, God, I don't want just a little bit. I've always been an extremist. I'm always wanted. I want it all. I want everything you got. And I'm not going to be satisfied until I get everything. I want Pastor Sonny's anointing. I want Nikki's anointing. I want everybody. I want it all. I'm, 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 I'm talking like that, not knowing really what I was saying, but my heart was in the right area. Amen. So I relate to Elijah, or Elisha. But here's the thing: whenever you seek out the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be tested. It doesn't come, oh, here's the anointing. The anointing is not cheap. Or is it easy to obtain? The first major one, I think, really lays the ground, is the test of one's loyalty. And you have to, you develop it. You develop loyalty at every level. And if you have a loyalty test, say, in the beginning, wherever you're at, and you fail it, well, you may avert the loyalty test. But to gain an anointing, you got to pass that. See, and, and, and Elisha had been with Elijah, and he passed a great loyalty test. He had followed Elijah for years. And all of a sudden, he gets tested again because Elijah is getting, getting ready to take off. After three tests, Elisha remained loyal to Elijah. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Remember, most people leave their leaders at a certain level. Because most people are just looking for a place of worship, Bethel, just going to church. They don't, see, people don't like going to church. That's why there's big churches. But most people in church don't want to follow an anointing, which requires them to do. Don't tell me to do. I'm too busy. I'm a businessman. I got things to do Monday through Friday, but, you know, but anointing, no, let me find a church. And that's okay. Some people like that. Amen? That happens. 
it'll happen in our church. And we, and we can't look down on them, but everybody finds their spot. So are you with me? Other people want more than just coming to church. They want prosperity. The oasis, Jericho. But those who want to do things, great things for God, well, that's where Jordan is, the place of miracles. That's where the anointing lies. Because really, if all you do is come to church, you really don't need an anointing. For what? You're just a church. You just come to church. You're satisfied with it. And that's cool. Like I said, if that's you, I'm not mad at you. We need, we need a whole church full of people like that. But we also need a group of people who say, you know, I do, I want that, but I want more. And some people want to be prosperous. God bless you. Make sure you pay your tithes. Give your offering. Great. That's wonderful. We need a church full of people like that. But then there's a group. Let me say it again. But there's a group that want an anointing. A place where they do miracles. Not just watch others do miracles. They want to do. That is what we're talking about. That is what, what Elisha was looking for. So whenever you choose to follow an anointing leader, people will discourage you. And we learned that. So don't get discouraged by people. Follow the anointing. To those who attempt to distract you, tell them, I, I said in my, my best uh, theological words, shut up. Don't bother me. Right? So no man, and then we, we laughed, we ended with the fact that no man can promise spiritual power to another. Only God can do that. But nonetheless, loyalty is the precursor to anointing. So we concluded with Elijah. Pick, well, when Elijah picked up Elijah's cloak, he struck the water of the Jordan and he cried out, Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Hmm? And then, then he received the anointing. He received that double portion that he had longed for. Right? But if Elijah had remained in Bethel or Jericho, Elisha would have never received the double portion of God's anointing. Again, the double portion is not for everybody. It isn't. There's, there's many of you that, that's not for you. But don't, don't discourage those who it's for. Encourage them. Support them. Pray for them. Because uh, that's their call. And you really, at times, you say, thank God it's not my call. Because it's not an easy thing to follow the call of God. If God doesn't have that type of calling in life, praise the Lord. I know the old song of Tom Rover. God bless the ones that stay. God bless the ones that pray. Right? God bless the ones, the ones who say, I'll stand by you. Right? So we need a lot of those people. But we also need those who say, no, I want a double portion. I want more. And we pick up the Holy Spirit story that we've been going through for the last four weeks right here. And it reads there, and here's my question. Can one be disqualified? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 reads like this. Do you not know that in a race all runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive the perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
This is a very familiar New Testament verse. And Paul's saying that he, he disciplines his body. There's nothing else but his body. Every athlete exercises self-control in, in all things. If you're an athlete, if you've ever been an athlete, you have to discipline yourself. If, if you want to get in shape, if you're a boxer, you can't just eat, you know, tacos. Right? That was a, I seen that, that, a meme on Facebook. There was this heavy set guy and a heavy set woman. And then they had another picture next to him. There was this guy who looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And this girl who had this body, a bikini body, and these two Mexicans were looking at them. And, and the guy goes, Honey, that would be for us, but we like tacos. I thought that was funny. <laughs> and that, isn't that so true? We just like to eat. Hallelujah. Amen. But if you're an athlete, you can't just eat anything. You have to be disciplined. Huh? You have to watch what you eat. You have to take your vitamins every day. You have, to, if, you have to go to the gym. You have to run your miles. You have to jump rope. You have to hit some weight. And then when you're done doing it one day, you got to do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. Hello. Paul says, I discipline my body. Huh? He, discipl he disciplines himself to keep his body under control. Notice he's saying body. Why? Because there's a funny thing about the body. Wherever your body goes, your head's going to follow. I mean, you, your body goes this way, your head's going to go along. He goes, i got to keep my body in subjection. Why? Because the body is what causes you trouble. The body gives you appetites. Yummy, yummy, bad for your tummy. Uh, the body will lead you to places that you shouldn't go. So Baal does not want to, uh, to become one who is disqualified. You know, disqualified means useless to God and man. Disqualified from service. So he understands his body. So, you know, and there's many ways to do it. Well, spiritually, some, some people have to learn how to fast more often. Some more than others. And when I say fast, that doesn't mean run fast to the refrigerator. It means refrain from something. Amen. See, does God, or here's another question, does God still operate in this manner where you could be disqualified from further service? Could the blessing of God be removed from a sinning believer? Yes. Could the Holy Spirit empowerment be taken away from one who is undisciplined? Yes. Could a born-again Christian sin so grievously that he or she is disqualified from further effective service? Yes. See, with this background, then you can begin to understand, and we talked about him in detail, and we'll talk a little, a little more, King David, when, when, and when he made a four-part prayer, and he, and he says, create in me a clean heart, renew in me a right spirit, cast me not away from your presence, and the, the clincher is, take not your Holy Spirit from me. See, Paul, in the, in the New Testament version of that, he says very quickly, very briefly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. See, we have to never take the Lord's blessings for granted or feel that, that I have come so far. Because some Christians think they've come so far, they've advanced so much that sin can never touch them. Listen, if you think that, be careful. Be very, very careful. When I see somebody walking the streets, a dope fiend, a drunkard, somebody locked up, I, I go there, there go I. 
but for the grace of God. Because I know at any minute, minute, nobody is a cinch domino. You guys know my cinch domino, right? Nobody's a cinch domino in this game. You need to stay right. You need, you need to stay on the right path. You need to reject certain things. You need to discipline your body. He's talking about the presence and, and the Holy Spirit. There's a presence to him. Theologians speak of the omnipresence of God. That means he's everywhere. He's present at all times and in all situations. In Psalms 139, verse 7 through 12, let's read. Is there any place I can avoid your spirit to be out of your sight? I'm reading out of the Message Bible. If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on a morning's wing to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already waiting there. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. So perhaps no other passage clearly illustrates this truth. That God's presence, he's everywhere. King David, he began to imagine places where he might go to be totally separated from God's spirit. And as he writes this, can you imagine him? He's writing this, thinking about the Holy Spirit, and he's imagining what could happen. In verse 8, perhaps he could go to the highest point or the lowest depths. No, he goes, he's still there. Verse 9 and 10, maybe I could go as far as east or, or west, the most distant place. No, he's still there. Verse 11, 12, possibly he could find some hiding place in darkness. I mean, let's just go get high. Because some people think, well, God's been haunting you. You've been running around, and when you're sober, you think too much about God, so you want to drown it out in the darkness. Well, let me let you in on something. He's there. You think he can't find you? He's there. So the answer in every case is negative. You can't run from him. You can't hide from him. Since God is present everywhere, there's nowhere to run. Nowhere to hide. Nowhere to run. Right? Is there the highest point in the lowest depth? No. See, his hands hold us fast from the other side of the earth. No one can hide from God in darkness because to him, darkness is as light. Now, that's good news and bad news. Amen? Good news, ultimately, it's good because without the Spirit, no one could survive. So wherever you're at, he'll find you. It's also good news because it means that no matter where we are geographically or spiritually, God is not far away. Amen? See, God knows us through and through. Hello, somebody. The Bible says he formed us in his womb. Before we were born, he knew us. His spirit is with, with us wherever we go. Now, that thought is comforting. Amen? Very comforting. But also it's frightening if you really think about it. Comforting because no matter how desperate our circumstances, God's spirit will see you through. No weapon. Form against you shall prosper. Because God's going to do what he said he would do. Right? But again, on the other side, it's frightening. 
Because no matter how much we try to free our side, ourselves from God's oversight, His Spirit is with us wherever we go. So what I'm saying, just because you say, well, I'm not going to serve God no more, or I'm not going to go to Victory Outreach, and I'm, listen, man, you can go sin anywhere, and he's there. That's frightening. It's very frightening. Comforting, because if all leave you, he will never leave you. Frightening, because when we sin, the Spirit witnesses our frailty in action. Huh? When you light that joint, when you take that little drink, what's wrong with having a little drink? Uh, let me tell you what, you can just drink that, that, that stuff right to hell. I'll guarantee you, there is no vodka in heaven. Hello? Amen? So your Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. God's the Holy Spirit. So David writes there, and he's understanding something that I don't think people think. We, I, I often think that some people think, take it for granted, well, God always loves me. He knows my heart, and he'll always forgive me. Are you stupid? You think you can act anyway and just reject God, and God is just going, oh, it's okay. Ah, don't worry about it. There are seven bill, billion people on this earth. He don't need you. Far from it. You need him. He has a plan. Every one of you can be a partner of that plan. But let me tell you something. If you don't jump in, he don't need you. You should be grateful that he would even consider you. What is man that he is mindful of us? Huh? See, David writes in Psalms 51, and you should turn there. We're going to rest there a little bit. He cast me not from your presence. Then he says, take or take your Holy Spirit from me. What a statement. King David penned these famous words in the aftermath of an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Oh, imagine when King David seen Bathsheba looking fine. Hmm. Taking a bath so everybody can see her. Now, that's another message. Caesar, and he goes to, I imagine he wasn't thinking uh, down the road. All he was thinking is for this momentary pleasure. Uh, Pastor Steve would always say this. Uh, Ten seconds of pleasure is not worth an eternity in hell. So you see that uh, this, this, this disastrous affair with Bathsheba, adultery led to a cover. Then he tried to hide it. Then adultery led to murder. He tried to cover it up. Adultery re resulted in the death of a newborn baby. Adultery led to, to the eventual crumbling of his empire and collapse of his family. No, David didn't see that. All he seen was the baby Bathsheba. See, when he finally reached bottom, when he finally reached bottom, years later, it didn't happen right away. See, that's what, I think that's what, where, where people get a misconception. They, they do wrong and nothing happened. All right, nothing happened. I'm good. God still loves me. Yes, He do. Oh no, no, wait. God may still love you, but if you're still playing around, believe me, <laughs> Ooh, something's gonna come your way. Don't, don't. You can't mess around with the Holy Spirit of God. But when He finally reached the bottom, David cried out to God from the depths of required humiliation. 
to the mountains of utter despair. See, repentance has no excuse. There's no pass in the buck. No pleading of extenuating circumstance. It wasn't my fault, God, the wife thou givest me. Oh, it wasn't my fault, God. I didn't know. I, I wasn't prepared. I was having a bad day. I was on wah, 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 wah. Don't work. So after he came to his senses, David saw that his basic sin, and this is the deal. David's sin wasn't the adultery. It wasn't all the other stuff that I mentioned. His basic sin was treason against God. Treason against God. See, adultery is the outward expression of an inward mutiny against the Holy Spirit. In the end, David agreed with God. In the end, he finally said, you're right. I'm wrong. Psalm 51 is perhaps the best picture in all the Bible of what repentance looks like. Verse 3, for I know my transgression and my sin will always be before me. Verse 4 through 6, David confessed how deeply sin had stained his life. Verse 7 through 9, he begged to be forgiven and cleansed from the inside out. Then after true repentance, David asked for a miracle. The miracle that only the Holy Spirit can do. Create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, that was a prayer that only God could answer. In fact, let's read that scripture. Psalms 51, verse 1 through 13. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned and my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let, my, let me hear joy and gladness. Let my bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast, me. cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Re restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit then then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners return to you so as you look at verse 11 the king prayed not to be cast from God's presence and asked that the Holy Spirit not be taken from him what a statement now what, why am I saying this because listen at times we're all King David The kings of ancient Israel knew that God had, had placed them on the throne. They, they understood that. They didn't become kings just because they were there. They understood that the anointing they received, they experienced the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's like us. You come to the church and say, God, come into my life to what? To sin? God, come into my life what? for what? Because you just want prosperity? God, come to my life so I can what? Look good? 
Why do we come to God? To be the same? So they understood what they received. Do you understand what God wants to give you? He wants to give you your dreams. He has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope, to give you a future. And we walk in here and he has all this for you. We walk in and we go back out and do our same thing. Perhaps David recalls Saul's experience. You know the story of King Saul. Saul was anointed by Samuel and he ruled Israel very successfully. The Holy Spirit came upon him. Saul was changed. He was a different person. He was shy and introverted. All of a sudden became a man of God. Saul changed. God's anointing gave Saul an unusual measure of spiritual power. But later on, because of disobedience, let me say that again. Later on, because of disobedience. Let me say it again. Later on, because of disobedience, God left him. It wasn't anything else but disobedience. God said, do this. He said, no. And why? He never learned obedience. See, you have to learn obedience. That's why in Scripture it tells you, children, obey your parents. Why? Because in that first process, you learn to obey. You have rebellious children, they'll never listen to God. So you've got to beat the devil out of them. Because children by nature are rebellious. You don't believe me? Ask your kids. By nature, they're rebellious. Boom, a little trancaso, right? It's good for them. Why? Because it's obedience. You teach them to obey. And then most people don't learn it. Because now you know, they have the, oh, you, don't, you can't touch your children. Because if you do, the, the authorities will come and, and, and they have all the ghibli garbage goop to try to take away a parent's right to deal with their children. No, beating your children with a belt on the butt is not un- abusing your children. Big difference. And you only discipline your child when they disobey, not when you get angry. That's a big difference too. Right? But that's another message. Nonetheless, obedience is a very important principle. So you don't learn it along the way. Because many people come up and they go to high school. And now, I mean, I, I remember, I've started several schools. I was a school, ma- uh, school board director over 24,000 students, had 60 schools. And the number one problem is kids didn't listen to their teachers no more. And they, couldn't, they didn't listen to their teachers. They would cuss at them, tell them where to go, and the teacher couldn't do nothing. Just take it. So now you've got a whole generation coming up. Been primed. They're all in school right now. It might even be one of your kids. All rebels acting up at school. And they're coming through school. And then what happens? We come into the society. And where do they end up? In the men's and women's homes. Huh? And then what? We have to teach them what? Obedience. Number one thing. Then you come to church. Guess what? We, and if you want to do something for God, guess what, church? We have to teach you. Obedience. And most people don't like that. Because they don't come to church for anointing. They just come to church. They they just settle for church. They don't come to be told that you have to be obedient. In fact, some people get offended by that. Well, who do you think you are? Nobody. Nobody. I'm just a preacher. Preaching the word of God. Nonetheless, it is disobedience that separates you from the love of God. 
And that's how critical it is. That's why I teach it. Why? Because I understand it's not the thing that you do is only the, the symptom of it's really bad to a treacherous uh, heart, one that would run from God, uh, hide from God. Why? Because it's the disobedient heart that turns them away. So we've got to deal with obedience. Look to your neighbor and say, he's talking about obedience. Yes, I is. So that, that's why I, I, I love having gone through the military. There's one thing about the military you have to learn. You obey an order. That's it. Whether you like it or not. Unless it's an unlawful order, if they tell you to shoot your captain, you can't do that one. But, but any other, you, you just obey an order. And I learned that. Coming out of high school, went right into the military, boom. I, I go, wow, okay, dig it. I, I understand that. I took that. And it's that simple truth that I learned as a soldier. I trained to kill people. That's what I was trained, but I was obedient. I learned, when I came to church, I applied that principle. And that principle made me a pastor. Nothing else. Not, not Bible college, huh? Not, not, not any kind of, pre, I'm a good preacher, good talker, none of that. What made me a pastor is I knew how to obey. That's it. How'd you become a pastor? I just did what I was told. I came when I was told. I was, I was there when I, even when I wasn't told, I knew that he wanted me there because I just knew it. I was there. Why? Because I know how to obey. Most people don't like to obey. Later on, again, back to Saul, because of disobedience, the Lord rejected king of Saul. So what haunted David most was that the Holy Spirit departed from Saul. Now, Saul, emptied of the Holy Spirit, Saul became the home of an evil spirit, the Bible says. All this happened while, while Samuel anointed David. He was giving David anointing. What happened? The Holy Spirit left Saul. This all happened at the same time. Why? Because Saul was disobedient from God. If you don't, don't know how to act with each other, these are the testing grounds of loyalty, behavior. So I pray that we have a people that really desire the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Oh, no, 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 no worshipers. Just, just piano and her. Nobody else. As every head is bowed, every cl eye closed, I'm going to ask that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will fall upon every life that commits from this day forward to be different. To not do what you've been doing, but to do something different. To abstain from that sin that so easily besets you. If that's you, as we sing this song, the altars are open. <laughs>